The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio, episode number 201 of the podcast. I'm Chad Dotson with me again this week, as he has been, I think, probably uh, more often than anyone else on this uh, illustrious podcast. My good buddy and yours, Bill Lack. How are you today, Bill? I'm good. Better known as the man that has nothing better to do. That's why Chad knows I'm always available. That's why I'm on here so often. See, there's value uh, in terms of a podcast host and having nothing else to do. That's fantastic. Well, you know, I'm, I'm easily, easily, you know, easily to be, it's easy to be taught me to talk me into these things. Yeah. Well, I know that's, that's certainly my favorite thing about you. Cause, cause God knows you could find somebody better to, to hang out with than me. Well, I'm not going to say that, but, um, <laughs> Bill and I've been talking lately, and, and we thought, "Hey, let's let's do this uh, for the podcast." Um, you, you may know, if you don't know, I don't know where you've been because that's all I've been talking about for the last little bit. That uh, my buddy Chris Garber and I wrote a book called "The Big Fifty: The Men and Moments That Made the Cincinnati Reds." It's uh, out out now. Um, the 50 biggest uh, moments that uh, really made the Reds the Reds is the way we put it, and I. I I'm really proud of the, the product. I'm, we've been really excited for a year now, really, to uh, get the book into the hands of the public and let people uh, um, let us hear what they think about it. And um, and if you if you haven't bought it yet or you haven't read it yet, you know uh, you can still listen here. And I hope you will. If you if you don't have any interest in buying the book, I think, and you're just a Reds fan, I think you'll be interested in this conversation we're getting ready to have because it's uh, about some fun uh, moments in Reds history. And I think it'll be a nice little romp through uh, the long and and illustrious, I can use that word, uh, history of the Cincinnati Reds. Now, Bill, Bill, I, I just, first of all, you actually read the book and, uh, you know, to me, that's just, I can't believe it. He, re- he actually read it. Uh, what do you think? Well, I, I think, I don't know whether you're excited that I read it or that I can read. Well, you know, uh, take it however you want. You know, we're not all Georgetown law, you know, graduates. <laughs> I assume some you of, read. Some of, some of us, you know, barely got out of college, you know. <laughs> All right, but okay, we've established you can read. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> you know, I said I, I've known it, you know, for a while that <clears throat> the Chad and Chris were doing this, and, and I was excited to, to get my hands on a copy. And I was very honored to be mentioned in the acknowledgments in the back. We did. Uh, we did people. mention you, didn't we? Yep, from the old Cincinnati Reds listserv list for those of you that have been around with us for a long, long time. Um. And I, I guess my my my, and, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed the book. I think it ranks up there with 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 what Greg, the kind of stuff that Greg Rhodes puts out. Hey, listen, you're just saying that because that's what I want to hear. No, I'm not. You know, you, you know better than that. You've never done that in the. How, <laughs> no, you like I said, you know better than that. We've known each other for probably, gosh, it's been over twenty years anyway. So twenty years, yeah. And and the the, the next time we agree will probably be the first time we agree. <laughs> probably, probably, uh, but that's all right. But I, I was very excited to get a hold of this thing, and I, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. But I, 
I, I, so let's talk about that for a little bit. Um, I, I was looking around and, and looking at Amazon, and I saw that there are a lot of these, the big 50s for different teams. Yeah. Uh, I saw some other baseball ones. There's one for the Eagles. I think there's one for the Boston Bruins. It's a series that Triumph Books has put out, and uh, you know we we actually had a little bit of a different uh, angle on uh, the book we were proposed to them, and they thought, boy, you know, if you just tweak that a little bit, it fits in perfect with this Big Fifty series. And we said, yeah, let's do it. And uh, so, did you approach them, or did they approach you? Well, uh, the truth of the matter is, we approached them about about our other book concept first, and some things happened. Um, we started talking with a different publisher. Um, things happened with that publisher, and uh, this Big 50 was actually supposed to be written by someone else. Originally, they had some issue with it, and they came back to us and said, hey, your concept's pretty close. Can you tweak it? And uh, we'd love for you guys to put this book together for us. So uh, we contacted them first. Uh, they sort of put us off a little bit, and they said, wait a minute, uh, let's do this. And uh, and we jumped right into it. Do you, do you want to talk about your other concept, or is that something you're, you're kind of hiding and you might percolate and use later? I don't think we're going to use it later. It was um, sort of the 50 greatest games in Red's history. Ah. And uh, and a lot of the, the chapters <clears throat> we've been working on for that book uh, just fit perfectly with this one. And uh, and that was actually a concept we'd had years ago, and we really didn't pursue it that much other than just talking between ourselves and refining the concept a little bit. We didn't really pitch it out uh, much. Uh, until just a couple of years ago, we thought, you know what, let's send that thing back out again and just see. And uh, at this point, you know, um, publishers were a lot more receptive to us because, you know, Red Lake Nation's been around now for uh, 13 years, over 13 years. And so, uh, you know. Well, now, and, you're right, and you're writing for, you know, ESPN yeah. a little bit and Cincinnati Magazine, I think. So you've kind of got some writing chops. Well, I don't know if I've got any chops, but certainly I was a little more well-known, I guess, uh uh, in, in that community, and so had a little bit better uh, case to make that yeah. uh, we had a platform to sell a book and that I, we had the chops to write the book. So when, tell us about the process of, of, of how you guys did this. Did you figure out the 50 and then research, or did you start researching and figuring out there was enough information for them to, you know, to, to give you a section? Well, the really, the, the truth of the matter is it, it took a long process of Chris and I going back and forth. And there were probably, actually, I'm not sure how many. I couldn't even guess how many potential topics there were for. That was my next question. How many men and moments that you researched got left on the cutting room floor? There were probably between five and ten that were seriously in the mix to make the, uh, the top 50. Um, and there were actually at least two chapters that were actually fully written that ended up getting cut. So, what was 51? 51, well, it's hard to say because we actually had a chapter on a, a guy named Walker Cooper who had the greatest batting performance in Reds history. And um, just a crazy game, uh, 12 RBIs, I think. And I've, never heard, I've never even heard that name. Yeah, well, you're going to read that chapter. We're going to put it on Red Leg Nation or it'll be at Cincinnati Magazine or somewhere. We're going to end up publishing that chapter um, because it's a fun chapter. But when Scooter Jeanette, uh, had his big day last year. We decided to remove the Walker Cooper chapter and put in the the Scooter chapter as the greatest I'll performance. Say, now substituting. <laughs> yes. <or> <laughs> so that was actually um, probably fifty one, I guess. But uh, you know, there are so many things that have happened in this. Yeah, you know, we wanted to do something with uh, the first TV game and um, first night game, and we, we couldn't get both of those in there. And uh, so 
there were a lot of concepts and it took a while for us to sort of refine them and then get them in the order that we felt like we wanted. You know, Eric Davis. Now, now, I want to ask you about that. So, you you know, am I, am I understanding this correctly that the greatest moment of the big 50 was game six of the 75 <laughs> world series, a game they lost. Yes. Yeah. We, okay. we went round and round on that, but you know, it's just, it's, it's by many people's accounts, the greatest game in the history of baseball. And it was sort of a, a time when baseball was on, on its heels a little bit. And uh, that that series helped bring it back. And it was really just a way for us to get into the Big Red Machine. And that was a game that we felt like would be the best introduction to who this Big Red Machine team was. And, um, and, and of course, you have to deal with that. A Big Red Machine moment has to be number one uh, on the list. And so, uh, so we decided to go with that one, and because there was such so, so much drama around it, and we felt like we could tell that story a little bit differently than it had been told before, which was the goal for every single chapter was to tell these stories in a way that they hadn't been told before. Um, and so, yeah, we went with a, a a game that the team lost as the biggest moment in Reds history. How, how did you and Chris come up with these? Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I know there's no way that you guys agreed on all fifty. Uh, well, we came pretty close to agreeing. I mean, almost all of them, uh, when it came down to it, we just debated, you know, um, there was another chapter, I think. Oh boy. Two, two lawyers. <laughs> right. But, uh, did, I mean, did you have, did you have a mediator? Did you have a, you know, a mediator to, to sit in and <laughs> no, what it came down to was we just sort of gave uh, a little bit on each side, you know, Hey, I'd, I'd really like to write this chapter. So let me do this one. And he wants this other one that I didn't really, you know, that I was maybe on the, on the, edge for me and so we just we gave and gave and eventually we negotiated it down to 50 and uh and we and i think we're both chris will tell you as well very happy with the 50 that we chose i guess that yeah that was that was another question i was going to ask how you guys actually did the writing so you guys split them up we did we each wrote uh 25 of the chapters and uh and the way we did it really was we just, it, or first of all, is there something you really want to write about? We had a spreadsheet um, on uh, on Google Documents. We had a spreadsheet of every chapter, and we just, hey, here's one I'm going to go ahead and claim because I want to write it right now, research it and write it. And then we just went back and forth claiming them. And then when it got down to the last few, we just, we literally had sort of a draft for the last probably 10 chapters. I'm going to, I'm going to pick this one. And Chris is going to pick this one. And we just went back and forth as to which chapters we wanted to write to, to get it finished. But we started out with well, what most interests you or what do you want to, to learn about or what do you want to research? Uh, and, uh, you know, all the, all the 1990 Reds chapters went with one author and all the Big Red Machine chapters went with another author. Um, ah. So to, to make it easier to do the research. Uh, and sure, so you weren't, yeah, we weren't duplicating the process. Exactly. But we had a, a huge Google, Google folder in our, a Google Documents folder with all the research and everything and that both of us had access to. And we could actually, we'd go in there sometimes when we were revising the book and you would not believe how much, how many revisions this book went through till we got it to just where we wanted it. Um, we, we would actually be in real time watching each other edit and, uh, making suggestions. And, um, it was actually a, a really fun collaborative, <laughs> collaborative process. And you, and you guys are still speaking. <laughs> we are, as a matter of fact, uh, more That's than ever. He's probably, he's probably sick of me. At this point, was there was there anything that, that it just killed you to leave out? Well, there was a there was a chapter in the original book concept that just didn't fit in this, but I had so much fun researching it, 
And uh, and I'm not going to give too much away about it, except uh, because I, I do think that we're going to be able to publish this uh, somewhere, uh, this particular chapter as a magazine piece. But it was a chapter on, uh, and again, we, before we were talking about the 50 greatest games, this is one where uh, Babe Ruth came to Cincinnati. And nobody ever hit a ball over the center field wall at the, it was Redland Field at the time, became Crosley Field. And he came in and hit three home runs, and it was just like this huge introduction to the world uh, for, for Babe Ruth in an exhibition game. But what was interesting about it was there was a bet made by a couple guys at a bar about the uh, about whether he could hit one out because nobody thought he could. And one guy said, yes, he can. And when he, when he did, when this one guy won the bet, the other guy was so mad that he actually shot him. And there was this big, uh, it was a murder and a big investigation and a manhunt. And there's this whole secondary story around that game that I thought was so much fun to research and write. And uh, it just didn't fit in this book. But that's the one that really killed me the most to leave out. But, All right. But we'll get that one. You'll you'll read that one at some point. Okay. I, 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 <clears throat> excuse me. How did you guys decide the order? Did you Did you vote? Did you... Uh, sort similar to how we picked them, we just uh, came to a consensus on it. We really didn't argue that much. Um, I think Chris first gave a, a first pass that here. Hey, here's a suggested order, and uh, then I went back through and said, "Hey, well, maybe we should move this one up, and here's why." And then he, then maybe we should move this one down, and we just went back and forth a little bit. Um, mostly, it's in the order Chris picked originally, but you know, we had to we made tweaks all along the way, uh, even up to the very end in terms of the order of the chapters. Is there anything, any anything you, anything or person that you omitted, that that, that you, that you, and, and I, I've got a, a small list here that of people that kind of surprised me that aren't hardly in there or aren't in here at all. Uh, there's nothing. There's no section on Frank Robinson, which kind of surprised me. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was, <laughs> yeah, that was. A, we we had to try to figure out how to get Frank Robinson in, and he's he takes up significant portions of a couple of different chapters. Right. The 1961 Reds yep. uh, was intended to, and we actually had a really good uh, sort of sidebar that ended up having to get cut about Frank Robinson. And we tried to add him in at diff- different places. Probably, uh, in retrospect, that's probably one that deserved his own chapter. But we got into so much of his stuff in these other chapters, we uh, neg- weren't able to weren't able to squeeze him in. And, um, but I think there's plenty of Frank. He's Frank Robinson's all over this book. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing. You, you know, the one that, that didn't get a whole lot of mention that, that I think could have been brought in in a couple of different ways is Ted Klazuski. Um Not only was you know, I mean, he's mentioned, yeah, a couple of times, but you know, not only was he a red star in the '50s, he was the hitting coach of the Big Red Machine. True, true. And Klazuski was one of the chapters, that, one of the potential chapters that ended up getting left out. It was really hard. Really? For, it was really hard for us to decide. Oh, how to weigh? I, I'm not picking a nit here. I'm no, just, you know, I'm happy to talk about it. It was hard for us to decide how to weigh men versus moments, and we, you know, we get these certain mm-hmm. moments, these events in Reds history that have to be in there. Um, but we also wanted to highlight the most important people as well. And a guy like Ted Klazuski, he was he was on the list. He didn't quite make it. When we had those guys like that, we tried to make sure that we, you know, added some information about them here, or there, so that they were there. Um, but uh, you know, the Reds weren't particularly. There was no really memorable team or event during Klazuski's career necessarily. No, I mean there was the '56 Reds, right? But um, when you were what, what 40 years old? 
I was only 22 then. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, right, but that's not that's probably not going to be one of your biggest moments in history right. of that team. And I so agree. they didn't win anything. Kalazuski is certainly one of the most memorable uh, personalities, and that went a long way. Um, we just we made some decisions, and uh, he barely missed the cut. But I think that's uh, it, we, when we brought the big sixty. He's won definitely in there, maybe even the big fifty-five. Were there some guys that might have been included, but you you couldn't find enough information on? Not really. Um, a guy that I really wanted to include more than we did, uh, because we wanted to, the, the whole idea behind the book, let me just say this first, is we wanted it to be, to read so that a casual fan could pick it up and read it and, yep. you know, read a chapter here and there and really learn about the Reds. But we didn't want it to be a textbook. We also tried really hard, and, and I'm really eager to find out what people think um, about this, and we've got some good feedback on this point. If you did know a lot about the Reds already, we wanted to make sure every chapter had something in there mm-hmm. that you didn't didn't really know, or that you that uh, you didn't didn't realize, or the first time you'd heard it. We wanted we wanted to provide value for the casual fan and the hardcore fan. And one guy I really he didn't make the cut, but one guy I really wanted to write about was Veda Pinson, who I just he was on my list. Yep, great career, sort of uh, underknown, not unknown, but underknown among Reds fans, and he's a guy that I don't. I don't want Reds fans to forget, I guess. And so, um, well, there's, there was a period of time and I don't know that it's true anymore is, 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 you know, time has, has passed, but there was a, a period of time where a lot of people said he was the best player, not in the hall of fame. Sure. Sure. I don't think that's true now necessarily, but I mean, just a great, great, great player. Um, probably just shy of hall of fame worthy, but I mean, that's not really a criticism, you know, to say that he was yeah. just, just really, really good. And he was uh, from his rookie season on. And we thought about you know trying to do something with uh, Frank and, and Veda Pinson Frank Robinson yeah. because they were they were teammates they were best friends, um, and, and that was one of the concepts that ended up uh, having to be sort of shoved in different places. But that's that's a guy that I really would have liked to have explored a little more. Maybe I can in another project someday. And, and Jim Maloney isn't isn't front right. and center in the book. And, and again, again, I'm showing my age a little bit, but that, that <laughs> one, that's another one that kind of surprised me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and that that's a guy that, you know, not a Hall of Famer. Uh, he's a Reds Hall of Famer. Great career and really sort of uh, dominant at a time. We just couldn't find a way to sneak him in other than just in terms of talking about him in uh, a couple of chapters. But yeah, um, but yeah, absolutely. He was in one of the ones. Was, matter of fact, I think he might have been in one of the original iterations of the first of the of the fifty chapters and ended up having to get. And got bumped. bumped down that now that I think about it. Now, and I was just looking at you know old old Reds guys like Bid McPhee and Noodles Hahn, Heine Grow. Yeah, uh, but I, I don't know how much information there would be out there for them. That it's a little hard. It, it was easier for more recent guys and even guys from the fifties onward because the uh, newspaper coverage was uh, was pretty good and, and sort of flowery coverage. Yeah, and and a lot of interesting anecdotes. When you started getting back into, I found this out when I was not just researching the 1919 championship res, but also back to the 1869. It's just really hard to. 1919 wasn't as bad because it was that was the Black Sox World Series, and so there was been a, there was a lot of coverage since then, a lot of research done on that. But the further you go back, it is it is we wanted to provide a little bit of color, and we wanted to provide a little bit of a sense of what it would be like to be there, and uh, some of those you know. Uh, 
Ed Roush is, is given some high praise in the 1919 Reds chapter, mm-hmm. but, but in terms of being able to justify a full chapter, one of the greatest Reds of all time, certainly a Hall of Famer, but, uh, you know, we we couldn't do with a cha- Ed Roush chapter like I would hope we'd be able to do. Like, you know, we had a guy like Johnny Cueto in there who a lot of guys wouldn't necessarily think. And Billy was. Bates. Well, Billy Bates, yes, Billy Bates. I mean, um, that was one of the moments. He wasn't one of the men necessarily, but – Right. Uh, he was the man at the center of one of the biggest moments. Um, uh, that was one that almost got cut. That I, that, uh, I think maybe uh, maybe that's one that I took a stand. At. I really think we need to have Billy Bates in here, uh, for better or worse. So I, I like the fact that that you you guys. I mean, most of these are positive moments for the Reds. Uh, you know, there's losing the '73 playoffs. Yeah. Um, there's losing the '72 World Series, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But uh, but most of them are positives, and it was was that a uh, a consensus thought? Well, sure, yeah. I mean, you know, um, you had to have have some of the. I mean, seventy five game six that was a a disappointment to lose that one. It ended up being a, a a good good memory. Yeah, but if you know, yeah, but but when you know that they win the next day, yeah, it, right. you know. But I, we, <clears throat> unless you're Ron Howard doing Apollo thirteen, it's hard to <laughs> you know it's hard to have a sense of uh, of, of uh, Suspense when you know what's going to ha- what's going to happen. That's true. That's true. And you know, in terms of picking out po- positive moments or optimistic moments or fun moments, well, you know, those are those are the moments that made the Reds what we think of today. By and large, there are some disappointments um, that we kind of glossed over the 1961 World Series that they lost after that such an yeah. incredible season. Um, uh, because I, we wanted I wanted to focus on just a you know a, an amazing season. Chris and I both wanted to focus on an amazing season and what it was like to be a fan of a team, you know, that turned around in one year like that. And so, uh, and, and try to put it in the context of the coming big red machine. So what's your, what's your favorite one? My favorite chapter, probably the chapter on Yule Blackwell, the whip. It's uh, funny. I, I've got that one in my notes. Cause I, you know, I knew, I knew about Yule Blackwell, but I didn't know that he was as dominating. You know, as, you, as you guys talk about in the book, that's that's funny. You know, this morning I was actually talking with uh, Ken Brew on uh, 700 WLW, and uh, and that's the that's the way I put it to him. That what was most interesting to me uh, in doing the research for that chapter when Chris and I were researching it was how everyone else in the league just thought he was the greatest pitcher on earth. Uh, I mean, he was he was widely considered to be you know uh, like we think of Clayton Kershaw today, and, and he made six straight All Star teams. I mean, he was a he was dominant. But uh, I'm not sure a lot of Reds fans, because he pitched in the in the '40s, really really understand that. You know, um, he 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 was just overpowering. He had that crazy windup. That's why they called him the Whip. And uh, as we were researching, we kept finding my favorite part about doing the research for that one is as as Chris and I were researching it, we kept coming up with these different descriptions of him, where opponents or sports writers or his teammates had these nicknames. For him, and, and you know, we know the Whip was his was his nickname, but we probably came up with twenty other names that pe- they were. He was called in different the newspapers around the country: a fly rod with ears, Cincinnati's yeah, nit- great, nit- man. Yeah. Um, my favorite one was um, if I can remember it. Uh, it was in the uh, New York World Telegram. Described his Blackwell's appearance was described as that of a Picasso impression of an octopus in labor. I mean, it was like everyone's trying to one up each other with their descriptions of him. 
But ultimately, I don't even know what that means. I don't either, but uh, you can just imagine what he looked like. That seemed to be something that they had fun doing in the first <coughs> coming up with names. So that was that to me. That was one of the more interesting chapters because it was a guy that I knew was a, a great player and a special player in Reds history. But I and I'm as you know as big a fan as anyone. I didn't realize he was so dominant until really getting into it. And he really right. was the greatest pitcher on earth for a while. And, and I say on earth because he went into the uh, to, to the uh, army and there were stories told all around Europe about this pitcher that they've got playing baseball uh, for his uh, army unit. Um, so it was, that was a fun chapter. I have to admit my, my favorite, my favorite was probably the Joe Morgan chapter. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I've said this on on our podcast many times is uh, 75 and 76. He was the best player I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and nobody else even is even close to being able to do all the things that Jim Morgan was able to do. Just, just a complete, complete, complete baseball player. He really was. And, uh, and not just a complete baseball player, a guy that could do everything on the field, but I mean, he just, uh, I, some some of our view of him is skewed by his uh, broadcasting career, maybe, and the things he's he said some crazy things occasionally. But uh, we named that chapter um, "Baseball Genius" because he really was. I mean, he just he thought on a different level than everybody else when he was playing, and uh, you know, there we we sort of paired that chapter a couple chapters later with the Joey Votto chapter, and just to look at the way Votto looks at the game differently than everyone else. And we primed that with Joe Morgan, who just was operating on a different level mentally in the way, terms of the way he was thinking of the game. But then also he could just do things that nobody else could do, and he did everything well. So I was going to ask you what your favorite chapter was. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's probably what it is. And it's funny because I was reading it, <clears throat> and I, you know, I've read a lot of things on a big red machine over the years and, and about Morgan and Bench and Perez and Rose and blah, blah, blah. But uh, where you talked about here that he used to get leads so big, that he could he could steal signs from the catcher. Yeah, I'd never heard that before, and I've never heard of anybody else ever doing that. Can you imagine? No, I mean it's. But I but I can't honestly remember, and and, and as we as, as you are so apt to put put, put out, I am a bit older than you are, and uh, <laughs> not I mean much. I not much. I was I was like turn, getting out of high school in the in the, in the big red machine in the mid seventies. Um. And I can remember the feeling when Morgan got on first base, and you you could feel the pitcher tighten up. I bet, especially if the game if the game was close. Now Morgan wasn't one of those guys that stole bases. <clears throat> pardon me, just to steal bases. He stole bases when it was needed, and which is why he never had you know seventy five, eighty, hundred stolen bases. Uh, but he'd get out there and he'd put that foot one foot on the carpet, one foot in the dirt. And edge a little bit closer to trying to get both feet on the carpet, and you could and you and, and, and it's almost unheard of now, but you see pitchers throw over five, six, seven, eight times, yeah, trying to drive him back to the base, and they never got him to shorten his lead up. Right, and that's something we we touched on. He he was sort of somehow in control from over there. Yeah. You know, the minute he got on base, he had control of what was going on in the ball game. He he, he put pressure on the pitcher. The minute he left the on-deck circle. Absolutely. Uh, my favorite part of that was uh, of that chapter was when he came uh, when he was came up with the Colt 45s 
and he got injured and had to sit and watch. And he just he spent the time learning what do these pitchers right. do, and and he realized that there are things he can do that he or that he hadn't been doing that he was capable of doing that could change the way he played. And he sort of reinvented himself as a player up before coming to Cincinnati. Yeah, it makes you wonder if he hadn't sat out for that whole season or most of that one season. What was it, sixty-seven or sixty-eight? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> whether he would have been the same player, right? Yeah, and because it, um, plus the fact that he's he's a, a, you know a featured player in, in of one of your my favorite baseball books. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Ball four. Ball and for four. those of you that have never read Ball Four, you need to read. If, if you're a baseball fan, and you haven't read Ball Four. You're not a baseball fan. I'm telling you, it's the second best baseball book ever, right after the Big Fifty, the men and moments that made the Cincinnati Reds. Uh-huh. No, Ball Four, uh, actually, uh, Bill, it's got over two decades ago, introduced me to that book. I had never read it uh, before Bill recommended it, and I've read it probably 20 times since then, including most recently this past off season. I mean, it's just, it's laugh-out-loud funny. Yes, it is. And it's, I think the first time I read it, someone gave it to me in paperback when I was in junior high school. Yeah. It's it was a uh, it's a classic. Um, I absolutely recommend that one. So well, I was going to ask you about to get back. Um, although I, we need to have another podcast talking about Ball Four because that, that book it still holds up. I couldn't believe when I read it this year how much I was still. And, like, and, and, and people that read it will be amazed at the names that are in there that they know. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, I literally this off season when I reread it, I literally laughed out loud a number of times. And I, yeah, you can't help it. I mean, the the silliness and pettiness and the, some great. of the things said are, are just hysterical. It's fantastic. But a question I wanted to ask you, Bill, because this was really important to us. You, uh, we all know about the Big Red Machine. I mean, every every Cincinnati Reds fan has heard all these stories about the Big Red Machine, and um, and of course you uh, you know you remember some of the things that we wrote about in the book. Did you get a sense when you were reading these Big Red Machine chapters that were you engaged? Did it uh, were you learning something, or was it uh, presented in a way that you know was still engaging to someone who sort of knows these stories? Well, it's both. Uh, I think it was both. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the list of my, what my favorite chapters were. <clears throat> and one, and the next one on my list is the '72 World or the '72 Playoffs. And that's one that almost didn't make it, but we thought, man, that's such a a, a moment. Right? Uh, I don't know how I couldn't make it. I mean, Johnny Bench's home run in game five, in his game five, was maybe the biggest home run in Reds history. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I guess when I say, well, I, 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 you know, you, you talk about that. You talk about the Davis home run in 1990. You could, you know. But that 72, that's not one that people would automatically think. Right. Is in your- and it's funny because reading that, I, I remembered, of course, I remembered the bench. I, you know, I came home from school and saw the end of the game, saw the bench home run. But what I didn't remember, I didn't remember the Grimsley performance in, in, in game four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, and I went back and looked at, you know, I looked that up. And you and I had been talking about you know, another chapter, the 72 series. And you and I were talking about this online or texting about it or something. And, uh, I you know to this day I still haven't forgiven Bobby Tolan for <laughs> right. yeah, you, losing you said the that. World Series and, yeah. and I didn't I was I guess I was what fourteen at the time I did not sleep that Sunday night when they lost Game Seven I didn't sleep all night I was so upset that's fantastic uh, um and and on that like I said I've never forgotten Tolan but what I remembered and I and I was telling you I thought it would happen late in the game that Hal McCray came up as a pinch hitter. And hit a ball to the wall 
that if he if it would have went out, it would have given the Reds the lead. <clears throat> Pardon me, but I went back and looked it up, and it turned out it happened in the fifth inning mm-hmm. with the bases loaded, and he it ended up being a sacrifice fly. And I remember him even calling him out of the tu- out of the tunnel, and and you know he was probably down there warming up, I would assume, or either that or he was in the bathroom. Who the hell knows? But you know, you know, five more feet, and the Reds win game and win the seventy two World Series. You know. Because I mean, he crushed this ball. Uh, but yeah. but it's funny how your memory over time changes. Because I, I would have I would have bet any amount of money that that happened late in the game and it happened in the fifth inning. <clears throat> but that was a that was a that was an amazing World Series. What was it? Six of the seven games were decided by one run. Yes, yes. Um, you know what you didn't mention in the chapter though? What's that? Was Dick Williams? Not Dick Williams. Uh, mm-hmm. Manager of the A's was. Um. Oh gosh. Was it Dick Williams? Uh, Dick Williams wasn't managed those days, was he? Anyway, we'll 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 look it up. And if you're listening, you can look it up yourself. But whoever the manager of the A's was, how he suckered Johnny Bench and humiliated Johnny Bench on national television. It was you Dick know Williams. I'm talking about. It was Dick Williams, by the way. Was it? Okay. Yes. You know the. You know what I'm talking about? I don't think so. What are you? The bench comes up, and Williams comes out of the man out out, on, out to the mound, and I'm operating all off memory here. And Raleigh Fingers is on the mound, and he and it's like a three-two count, and he points at first base at, at least twice, put him on, put him on, mm-hmm. and they threw the ball right down the middle for strike three. Oh yes, I have heard that one. Yeah, and my guess is Johnny Bench this day still has nightmares Probably. about that. Probably. And that wasn't mentioned in your 72 World Series chapter. I'm sorry we let you down, Bill. Uh, no, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I know, I know. It was just such, it was a big moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the the uh, the Bob Housen chapter I thought was really, really good. I really enjoyed it. That, um, was, a, that was a tough one, let me tell you, because that the first draft of that chapter was like 4,000 words, and we really had to cut it down. Um to its essence, because there was so much about what, the way he went about constructing. And that was the name of the chapter, the architect of the Big Red Machine. Um, there's so much about that chapter that, uh, again, that I didn't know once the research was done. And you got to learn a little bit more about uh, his thoughts. And, uh, and we, we felt it was important to put Housem in his own chapter rather than just talking about the Big Red Machine. I think I think Bob Housem should be in the Hall of Fame. Yes, but we addressed that in the book, or did that get cut out? I can't remember. I don't remember it in the book. Yeah. Um, I know when we used to <clears throat> when we used to do our Reds List Hall of Fame every year. That's right. Yeah. We never Bob Housen never got elected to do our Reds List Hall of Fame. Really? No. Nope. How's that possible? I don't know. Um, I think I think a lot of guys, even at, you know, unless they're like my age, um. They know about the big red machine, but they probably don't know a whole lot about Bob Housen. Well, they will if they buy this book. Yeah. Um, he, uh, the, the other thing, I mean, and the other thing I thought of, I thought of when I was reading this is, you wonder if he'd have stayed on, whether he could have adjusted to the changes in baseball, free agency. Yeah. Well, he was firmly against. Free agency and uh, and they never they didn't sign a free agent until after he left the second time. Yeah, 
Yeah, and so th- that's a that's a conversation that really is interesting because he has this great reputation and it's well deserved. But would that have you know would he have adjusted in that era if he hadn't you know if he hadn't left before he came back? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. He was pretty sort of steadfast in his opposition to the free agency system and, and the way to build teams. Um, but he he sure, was a thickhead. He was, but, <laughs> but I tell you what, he uh, he built a pretty good team there. <clears throat> yeah, they, they had some pretty good players. The <laughs> the the, um, the chapter that, that, I don't know how to put this, surprises me that it was included, was the Shamsky chapter. <laughs> That's what I wanted to ask you about. Well, you know, I knew him a little bit. Oh really? I've t- I've told you this. Mm-hmm. In the in the late in the mid mid seven sixties, my grandparents ran a well, they were managers of an apartment complex over on the west side of Cincinnati. Yeah, that a lot of the Reds lived in. Uh, at the at that period of time, there was still a lot of racial segregation in terms of housing, so it was really the white Reds. But Shamsky lived there. Rose lived there. I, I, and I've told you this story. I, I remember watching home movies in Pete Rose's apartment. It had to have been his second or third year in baseball. Yeah, you have told me. That. Uh, Maloney, Darren Johnson, Shamsky, Don Pavletic, I remember. Um, you know, I was six, seven years old. This was, you know, big stuff to me, you know, meeting all these. So I knew Sh- my, Shamsky was friends with my parents. I'm my, my, Not my parents, my grandparents. In fact, he got them a bat autographed by all the players of the Miracle Mets. Is that right? It's not, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that was one that we went back and forth on including that chapter, but ultimately we thought, boy, that's something. I think what it came down to, that's one that maybe most people don't know. Yeah. And so we thought, uh, you know, again, in, t- in terms of weighing versus the ones we do know, the ones we don't, and, uh, you know, teaching about some things that we don't want to be forgotten about Red's history, <laughs> that was one that ended up uh, making the cut. And, uh it's a crazy game that he had. I mean, he, he didn't start the game. He comes in in the eighth inning, hits a home run uh, to uh, give the Reds a, an eight to seven lead, and then stays in the game in the tenth inning, hits a home run to tie the game, and then in the eleventh inning hits another home run to tie the game. So he didn't even start. He comes in, in the eighth inning, he gets three home runs. Uh, it was just a wild game, and it and then didn't play the next day, and then didn't play. <laughs> <laughs> and couldn't even crack the lineup the next day. I mean, it's just, I don't know. We thought that was sort of a unique uh, moment that we wanted to include. And, and I'm actually glad we did because almost everyone that I've talked to, you know, I've done a bunch of radio interviews, uh, almost all of them have wanted to talk about Art Shamsky, about the Art Shamsky chapter. Either they didn't know about it or had forgotten about it. Or um, I think ultimately I'm glad we chose to, to include that one. Another, another section that I really, really enjoyed because I was there was the night Pete came back. I was at the ballpark that night. Yeah. We had, the minute it was announced, a bunch of us, I think, I don't remember, 10 or 12 of us, we were sitting in the green seats in center field. We, you know, a bunch of us bought tickets and went down. I I was at the game where they clinched, that where they, you know, they won the playoffs in 90 to go to the World Series. You know, the, the, the Glenn Braggs reaching over the fence. and Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was there that night. <clears throat> and I, I was at the 73, game one of the 73 playoffs when the Reds beat Seaver with two home runs with a walk-off by Pete, I think. Yeah. I think Bench hit the first one and Rose hit the second one. Um, or vice versa. I can't remember now off the top of my head. 
I have never felt excitement in a ballpark like I did the night Pete came back. <clears throat> and when he had that, you know, he let off, you know, his first at bat, I think he had a triple, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't a triple. It was a, I think it was a double with an error, but he got to okay, and ended up at third base. Yeah. And belly flopped into third. And that, I thought the, I thought that place was coming down. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, that chapter and the four, one, nine, two chapter, uh, were things that people sort of know about. They remember. And, and it sort of highlights what we tried to do with the with the book. The 4192 chapter, Pete's 4192nd hit, we used a little bit of a different narrative structure to try to tell that story in a different way. With the not that Pete came back, what we really wanted to do more than anything was try to put you in the ballpark. Try to, and if, if, you, if you go back and look at it, and for those of you that read it, You'll notice that we're we're trying to talk about what it was like uh, from the stands and what it was like uh, for people around the ballpark and what it was like, just what the atmosphere was like. Try to put you in there because you're right. Everything that we could find about that game was that's what everybody talked about was the atmosphere was like and like I mean it was greater even than Big Red Machine stuff. I mean it was just something in the air that night. Yep, I've still got my you were there certificate. Really? Is that right? And my ticket stub, yeah, from that night. Yeah. So, so what you're telling me is it was it was like that. It was. Uh, oh, absolutely. I, like I said, I've been to some big games, you know, big Reds games. I've never, you know, I've never been to the clincher for the World Series or anything like that. But I was there when they clinched the playoffs, and I didn't get the feeling of the, the same level of excitement. And maybe it was just because it'd been down so badly, you know, from the depths to the heights, you know. Coming off, you know, so many bad years, you know. Yeah. You know, I mean, one of those years is one of the only times this team lost 100 games. <clears throat> and if you look at the rosters from those years, you see why they lost so many games. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, it, 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 I, I've never been anywhere in, in any kind of sporting event where I had that same feeling well, you know, we, that, I, that day. It, it, it wasn't just you, you know, we, we had just right. to watch the uh, television broadcast and, you know, the, the, the broadcasters were like just buzzing. I mean, like it was something new. We had, you know, quotes from some, uh, some of the players like Dave Concepcion. He, he, he took off running out onto the field and they're like, what are you doing? Why are you, he said, he's like, I don't want to get fined by my new manager. I got to get out there and I got to do better. I got to make sure I, you know, live up to what Pete expects of me. It was just the whole organization was here's the quote from Concepcion. I got to hustle now. If I don't, the manager will find me. Said yeah. Concepcion, and, uh, and and the way that the other players reacted was just uh, amazing. You know, they they talked about how they had goosebumps, and that one of them was crying in the dugout during that time. So, my favorite my favorite anecdote though that is in the book. I'm gonna go ahead and tell it. my favorite one is this about uh, about ten o'clock that night. The a phone rang in the newsroom at the Cincinnati Inquirer, and someone said, uh, "Hello, uh, what's going on?" I said, "I'm I'm calling from Portland, Oregon. I got this uh, Cubs game on the the Cubs cable station. The Reds were playing the Cubs that night, and I want to know what y'all are. What, why are they running a rerun?" And the guy's like, "No, it's it's live. It's a live game." Well, then what the blank is Pete Rose doing playing first base for the Reds? <laughs> and then uh, they explained what had happened and. Uh, the guys, the guy just went nuts, and these whole the people that was in his room in Portland, Oregon, out there, they were all going nuts about what a great game it was. So those are the little stories that we tried to tried to throw in when we could.
the, 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 another section I really enjoyed was a section on Eric Davis. <clears throat> Maybe the biggest what if player that I in, in Reds history. That's one that, that Chris and I both absolutely knew had to be in because he's a guy that's in our lifetimes been like you said, it's a what if, but he was so good at his best. And the way we wanted to approach that was we took that one year, 1987, to, to talk about his whole life. But we wanted to give everybody an idea of the way that all around baseball, he was considered to be uh, the best player around. I mean, everyone was in awe of him, kind of like what we talked about Yule Blackwell earlier. I don't think after all the injuries and all this stuff, I'm not sure people can remember how much everybody in baseball, including Willie Mays, was uh, – Willie May said, it's an honor for me to be compared to Eric Davis. <laughs> you know, that's the way he was considered around there. So, again, that's a situation where it's a story that we didn't want people to forget, Eric. And, of course, uh, you know, you and I both remember Eric at his best, and he was. He was just, oh, my goodness. It's, it's yep. un- unspeakable how good he was, wasn't he? The, the, the other thing that I enjoyed, I enjoyed the, 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 the sections on the 76 playoffs in the World Series, <clears throat> mainly because I didn't see those at the time. Oh, really? Like, I was in boot camp. I was in the in the Navy. That sounds like fun. And, uh, well, the, actually it was kind of fun because there were guys in my boot camp company that were both from Philly and from New York. And I took some money from them boys. <laughs> Excellent. So that was always a good thing. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, well, that, that's but those a- were, I enjoyed those sections too. The, um, the other section... The other section that's kind of offbeat that I th- that I thought was interesting was about the Stows and the Schwabs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of a different section. You know, it's kind of a different idea, but it's uh, important to understand that the the how they fit into the history of the Reds. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, um, <laughs> they had way more impact on a Reds baseball than anyone realizes. Uh, the Schwab family and the Stowe family. And it was actually Chris came up with the idea. And uh, I think, I hope we uh, executed it well, but um, we wanted, again, that's a situation where we wanted, uh, this is, these are men that helped shape this franchise and make what it is, but they're going to be forgotten. They're going to be forgotten if we don't uh, talk about them and, and uh, sort of perpetuate the, the memory of these guys. And it was fun to research and write that chapter. Because, again, that's a story that I didn't know much of anything about. I mean, I knew Bernie Stowe. Everybody always talked about Bernie Stowe. But I, I didn't realize how deep those families' connections to the Reds went back to, you know, uh, the early part of the century. Yeah. So I'm, um, I'm glad you liked it. You know, the guy that I was glad I saw got a, you know, a pretty good mention in the in the 70, section on the 70 uh team which was really my first I started following baseball in probably 68 when I was like 10 you know closely yeah and I I, I you know I remember the 69 playoffs or the 69 season and the, the, the pennant race and the Reds were in it down to the last week and ended up third and then 70 you know they just you know they fired Bristol and bring in Anderson and they blew out the gate in the 70 and 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 the guy I was glad to see get some mention here is is Wayne Simpson, because he might be the second best biggest what yeah. if yeah, and, and you know and and it was just another and I think you guys even say that somewhere it was another example of how the Reds had no clue to how to deal with young arms at the time. 
Oh my goodness! I mean, between Nolan and Simpson, yeah, uh, you know, Gary Nolan had to reinvent himself multiple times as a pitcher. Right. It's uh, yeah, Simpson's a, a guy that a lot of Reds fans don't know about, and that's why we did want to take a little bit of time to explore him. Because you're right. I mean, it's more so He's than what fourteen and one or fourteen and two at the All Star break and unhittable seventy. He was unhittable. Yeah. I mean, he was the most dominant pitcher in the league. How many Reds fans know that? Not enough, I think, is what we decided. So, And, and I had forgotten how, how badly their pitching staff had evaporated over the second half of that season. Yeah. <clears throat> but, you know, it was it, it was one of those seasons where you know, they were very young and, and you they ran into a really good pitching staff in the World Series. And Brooks Robinson was insane. You know, he was he was playing like he was from another planet. Yeah, right. Uh, and, and honestly, they got beat by a better team in 1970 in the World Series. They did, uh, but it's also an important team in Reds history for what it, what it was getting ready to launch. Well, yeah, it was it was it was the big red machine taxiing down the runway. Exactly, that's a good way to put it. Um, it's interesting. I mean, how things evolved. You know. Talking about the big red machine, you know, if Tolan doesn't blow out his, his Achilles and, and play basketball in, in 71, <clears throat> do the Reds make the trade in 72 to bring in Morgan and Geronimo? Maybe not. Maybe not. And then it's and, all- you know, how does that change the history of this ball club? It's an entirely different book at that point. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's an entire, It's probably an entirely different decade. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, we also talk uh, in the book, one of the chapters is about the uh, 1981 Reds. Uh, or 1980 Reds, um, the team that wasn't that had the best. It was 81. Yeah, the strike the year, best record and best record in baseball. Um, you know, and the, it just and it just won the division the year before. They had won the division. I think the two years before. No, maybe the year before that they finished second. 79. Yeah. Um. But they they had been competitive after the Big Red Machine. You know, 77. Tom Seaver. I mean, they're competitive. 77, 78, 79, and then this one year where they have the strike. And the Reds have the best record in baseball, but somehow don't make the playoffs. What if they do make the playoffs and win, and add another World Series? Because there were still, still some significant pieces from the '75, '76 Reds there, mostly on the uh, in the lineup. But um, you know, maybe the Reds don't fall off a cliff the next few years. Maybe the sort of way we, way we look at the Big Red Machine dynasty is extended out even further. If you know they got lucky in the playoffs one of those years, or had you know had actually made the playoffs and done something in. Uh, the year that wasn't the strike year. So I thought it was interesting to explore that team in the context of, we tried to talk about it in the context of this could have been a part of the big red machine story and it wasn't, but we, it's still a, an, an important story. We wanted to address it. Well, yeah, and it's funny cause you talk about, you know, when you talk about the big red machine, people generally <clears throat> close the book after the 76 world series. They do. And, and, you know, they were, like you said, they were competitive in 77, 78. They won the division in 79. But even uh, with, even with uh, the Tom Seaver chapter, where we talked about, we had uh, about Tom yeah. Seaver's no here. We wanted to talk about how, you know, they brought in Tom Seaver to the big red machine. You know, it could have been a, even better, which is getting greedy maybe, but. Did, refresh my memory here. Did they go after Steve? Wasn't that the same year they tried to get Vita Blue? It wasn't Vita Blue. Oh, I can't remember. Because that Vita, you know, you know, the Vita Blue trade got got 
Wasn't that the year before? But, wasn't that 76 when they tried to get Vita Blue and it was voided I by the I thought it was 77, but I, I, I could be was. wrong. When when Billy Coon waved off the deal. Yeah, it was after that. Trading but. for Dave Reverend and Cash, if I remember right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, can you imagine? Yeah, and the league voided it. So, um, yeah, they may not have gone for Seaver had that uh, actually happened. Yeah. But, but they did add Seaver and onto a really good team. Um Minus Tony Perez, that was really the big only piece from the Big Red Machine that wasn't there when they, I guess, in Don Gullet. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, what what might have been? Actually, somebody did a post on this of uh, on Red Leg Nation about Vita Blue coming to the Red. I'm sure of it. Yeah. Somebody, I'm I'm pulling it up now on February first, night two thousand sixteen. Somebody, John Ring, John Ring wrote yep. this. Mm-hmm. Uh, December of 77. So it would have been going into the 78 year. Oh, is that right? Okay. I thought it was before that. Interesting. Hey, you can find whatever you want at redlegnation.com, man. We've been writing about the Reds. It's our 14th season. Yep. Right and some of it's even true. Some of it, not much, but some <laughs> of it. Any other, before we wrap it up here, Bill, any other thoughts about the big 50? Anything you think we got wrong? Anything you think we got right? Uh, you know, like I said, there, there's, there, there are sections that, that I, you know, that are, I don't know. I'm trivia isn't the right word, but like I said, you know, but there are things that you, you'll learn something in every chapter. I, I said, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I really, really did. Um, the Marty and Joe chapter is, is really, really good. Um, the nasty boys chapter is, you know, as, as much of an asshole as Rob Dibble really is from everybody I've ever talked to that's ever met the man um, is really, I mean, Unless you saw them, how good they were in 1990, you you can't understand. You know, the game was over after six innings. Yeah, it's just a nickname now, and we know they're legends. But yeah, when you were there, and then that's we we talked about how the opponents looked at the Reds. It's funny watching the Nationals the last couple of days. They've got a bullpen. I mean, they're not going to be as intimidating as those three guys were, but they've got three guys that are coming in seven, eight, and nine. They're going to be pretty daggone tough, also. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but they're not the nasty boys. No, <laughs> no one ever will be. And none of those guys ever hit the height again that they did that year. Yeah, I mean, they you know to to various varying varying extents they had good careers after that, but oh yeah, but that was the year that all three of them were really just. Uh, just shut down pitchers, and it, it, it's true, especially in the playoffs, because you know Char- Norm Charlton actually started a bunch of games that year. Yeah, in the, in the, I think it was mostly in the second half of the season, if I remember right. He did, but once you got the Nasty Boys back in the playoffs, it was. I mean, it was six innings. Reds had the lead in six innings. It was over. You, you it was over. You couldn't get to those guys. So, well, I do appreciate your kind words about the book, Bill, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. And um, you know, I got a single tear uh, streaming down my cheek now for all the nice things you've said. Well, you know, don't count on it ever happening again. That's the first and maybe the last. So, hey, thank you all for listening. You can subscribe to Red Lake Nation Radio wherever you subscribe to your podcast, iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever, whatever, wherever you get them, we'll be there. Leave us a rating review. It really would mean a lot to me if you go out and uh, were to get a copy at uh, Amazon or Barnes and Noble or it's uh, all local bookstores all over the region. I mean, it's not just Cincinnati. They're going to be in the bookstores all over. Buy a copy. I appreciate it. If you want me to sign it, we're going to be doing some book signings uh, over the summer, spring and summer. Come out. Happy to sign it for you. And uh, if if that 
that doesn't ruin the book for you. And if you go on Amazon and leave us a, a, a review, a five star review, if you if you really like to give us a five star review, if you didn't like it, maybe just keep that to yourself. But uh, but anyway, do appreciate everybody that's already bought it and read it and the great feedback we've gotten. It's uh it's, it's pretty exciting and uh, and I'm glad for once, Bill, I didn't let you down. <laughs> well, it, it, it's a good way to get into this year's baseball season. There you go. I guess so. So uh, thanks for listening. This is uh, Chad Dotson for Bill Lack saying. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.